Welcome to the Game of Crowdfunding Interview Edition, recorded Friday, September 18th, 2015. And this interview is sponsored by John R., one of our Patreon supporters. So thank you very much, John, for supporting us over on Patreon and allowing us to continue things like the Game of Crowdfunding series. That's right, I'm coming to you with another interview. And this time we do have somebody that has a project on Kickstarter right now that um, if you follow us at all at All Us Geeks, you'll see me. I've been talking about every once in a while ever since I met this awesome person at Gen Con and checked out this game. It's a game that I am super excited about. I am completely 100% behind. I am going to be lucky enough to be working on a video for it this weekend. But as we're going to find out as we go along, eh, Maybe it'll help, maybe it don't, but this guy, it's already funded, which is awesome to see. So with all of that wonderful teaser up front, who is joining me on Skype tonight? Hey, I'm Jonathan Ruland. I've created the Guardians Explore, and I also work at Bioware on Star Wars Yield Republic, and I also play Quidditch for fun. So many uh, things, so many things to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> Wherever you want to start. Again, uh, Jonathan has a game called The Guardians Explore that's on Kickstarter right now. It's already fully funded, which is awesome. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later, like we always do, because this is his relaunch of that game. So we also get to find out some of uh, what Jonathan has learned along the way. But first of all, uh, I just want to say it was awesome meeting you at Gen Con, man. I'm glad we kind of made that connection and, and somebody introduced you to me. Yeah, no, it was it was a really good like happenstance. Like I didn't really know anyone in the room, and then ah, everything worked out. It's beautiful, <laughs> and those breadsticks were awesome. Uh, yes, yeah, so that was that was that was a highlight. Yeah, we we went out and got a a late late night dinner, which ended up being like stuffed breadsticks, which were amazing. So yeah, it was kind of cool because Jonathan and I, like I said, we met at Gen Con this year. Somebody approached, I can't remember who it was now. Somebody approached me and said, Hey, Jonathan's got this game. Uh, it was on Kickstarter. It wasn't successful the first time. And they kind of approached me from the fact that they know, they knew I did consulting. And so they're like, you got to meet Jonathan. So I was like, all right, you know, I've, I've been meeting a lot of people. So Jonathan and I got together. Uh, we started talking. I started doing a little bit of research. I played his game while I was there and I was like, you know what? You don't need me, <laughs> which, which may sound odd. And, but you might have heard me and you might have heard me say that every once in a while, uh, and wonder if that's actually true. So Jonathan can actually confirm that those words do come out of my mouth sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely happened. It just, uh, all, what I got back from Jeff here was that all I needed was to get people to know about it. And this game's going to be successful. So, uh, we went around getting people to know about it and bam. We're funded. <laughs> yes. All right. And we'll, we'll get to, to all that good stuff, like I said. But of course, we've got to talk about a couple of my warm up questions here. So Jonathan, are you ready for probably some of the most hard hitting questions you will ever be asked in your life? R really? Hardest <laughs> ever. Okay. Hard, let's go. Let's hard go. Hard hitting. These are, these are, this is, this is true journalism here, my friend. <laughs> okay. So uh, I'll do my best. The Game of Crowdfunding is a standalone segment on All Us Geeks. So, of course, we like to ask, what makes you a geek, sir? Well, so I've been playing games my entire life. And so 
I started off just playing video games and computer games, got really hooked into uh, Warcraft Frozen Throne, got rank one in the world uh, on small free-for-all for 10 minutes. It's pretty cool. <laughs> um, and then uh, as I got a little bit older, I switched over to the Warcraft trading card game. The best I did there was I got I had to concede for second place in Vegas at a big tournament because I had to go catch my flight. But it was pretty cool. And then recently I found out that Quidditch is a sport. And so I've been playing Quidditch for the last two years and it's been pretty fun. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I told my fiance the other night that you uh, actually play Quidditch and I told her you were her people because she is a big Harry Potter fan. <laughs> and she's like, sure, oh, sure. my God. <laughs> <laughs> so that was cool. So yeah, lot, lots of lots of cool geeky things there. So one of the other things we like to kind of stress at All Us Geeks is that you can really geek out about anything. So a follow-up to that would be, do you have any geek-level passions for something that the typical person would not consider a geek-related activity or hobby? Ooh. Well, I'm actually like really into green like energy stuff and like i don't know if that is typically a geek thing <laughs> but like the idea of like solar panels and you know electric cars and the hyperloop and all these things like really excite me so i don't know like i really want a tesla but you know they're a little expensive <laughs> all right that's a that's a good answer and of course there is also no shame, and we've had people on before that said, no, not really. Everything I'm into is geek-related, and that is a perfectly acceptable answer as well. <laughs> so then you've already kind of answered my third question, but maybe you can expand on it a little bit. And what we usually ask is, um, besides designing games, tabletop games in this instance, besides designing tabletop games, what do you do for a living? Oh, okay. So yeah, I work at Bioware. Uh, I'm an environment artist on Star Wars The Old Republic. So what that means is I'll build out the space stations, the planets, the dungeons, creating the floors, the walls, the rocks, the trees, the sky, pretty much anything that's not a character or a special effect is something I'll do and optimize the scene, create the fog, that sort of stuff. Okay. That is awesome. There's a lot of people out there that are probably extremely jealous right now. <laughs> you know, you, you've got, you know, every job that you don't already have that you kind of are semi uh, involved in in either like a hobby activity or something is, oh my God, you've got the best job ever. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's really that thing, right? So it, you can get stuck doing something you don't enjoy or you can try really, really hard and not take no for an answer and achieve whatever you're setting out to do. And it just like, if you put in that dedication, if you put in that time, you can achieve anything. All right. Well then let, let's kind of start from that aspect then. How did you go about ending up at Bioware? Okay. Uh, so I, it's a long story. I'll try and make it short. I went to university of Wisconsin at Madison uh, did a bunch of independent studies to learn how to do 3D stuff. Um, I graduated from there and I actually wasn't good enough to get into a game studio at the time. I start, did a little startup for a game called Parallel Kingdom. Uh, it still has like, I think, a million users. 
Uh, it's like a MMO over Google Earth that you can play on your phone. Anyway, so then I went back to school to full sale. And the difference between my time at full sale and regular college was the whole time I was at full sale, I knew that the job market is extremely competitive and extremely toxic. And you have to like, you have to be the top of your class or you will not get anything. Like you have to be the best. So then I would just like put in ridiculous amounts of time and hours to get my demo reel. It, it's a, a demo reel is like a composition of art assets showing what you can do. So creating my demo reel so that it's strong enough at like cinema quality so that I could get that job because I need to demonstrate that I can do anything anyone else can do. Anyway, so uh, and that was actually really hard because like I wanted to play games, but if I go and play Dungeons and Dragons, I'm sitting there trying to beat these monsters. But in the back of my head, I'm like, I should be at home working on my art projects. <laughs> so that was the struggle. But anyway, uh, the hard work paid off. I graduated one of the top in my class and then got the privilege to work on cinematics for Thor and Captain America. Nice. And that kind of then just kind of snowballed itself. And then I got a call on Christmas Eve 2011 asking if I was interested in working on Star Wars. And I mean, I guess, <laughs> I guess, I guess I'm interested. <laughs> So then I flew down or actually drove down to uh, start working, not like a month later. Nice. And that was 2012. <laughs> okay. So you've been doing that for quite a while. Where does the bug or itch come in to make a tabletop game? Okay. So I've been playing, uh, I've been playing the Warcraft trading card game pretty competitively for a while. I also have Really liked playing things like Small World, Seven Wonders, Dominion when that came out, and a variety of board games. And one that really piqued my interest also was The Hobbit, where you're this, you know, group of dwarves that you're, you know, going through this adventure game. And if you keep failing, Smog would get to Lake Town and you all, all lose. But if you get to the end and defeat Smog, then you add up your treasure to see who wins. I don't know if that similarity might come up later. <laughs> in our discussion <laughs> but maybe anyway so i'd had this large tabletop background and i really liked the idea of in a tabletop game i get to see and interact with all the people that i'm playing with because i had a long time playing video games right and they're just usually just that's just another opponent and i'm trying to beat them but i don't know who they are but if you're playing a tabletop game you get to know the person and there's a direct connection there so uh, then I decided that after Gen Con 2013, I'd played a bit of Legendary, that convention, and a couple other uh, tournaments, and I decided that I wanted to make my own game, uh, combining a lot of the elements that I find enjoyable and balancing into one game and see if I can't make the best game in the world. <laughs> that's uh, that's every, everybody's goal, right? The, my, yeah, game, yeah. my game will be the best game in the world. <laughs> So you were, yeah. you were at Gen Con 2013. Prior to this one, that was the last time I was there. So our, our paths didn't cross at that time, but, uh, they, they crossed at the right time, I guess. <laughs> right. I mean, in 2013, I was just, uh, like a player, right? Like I was just playing in all the tournaments and attending the events. I didn't have anything 
like I wasn't producing anything at the time. So did you come away from Gen Con or coming out of, out of there wanting to make a game? Were you already thinking of it as I want to make a game that I want other people to buy? Or were you still in the, I want to make a game for myself phase? Oh, I was immediately into the, I want to make a game that people will play all over so that I could go to conventions and hold tournaments. Like that's what I wanted. I wanted to have an organized play system. And I felt like if I was able to wrap this in a game that's enjoyable for the public and also has that competitive curve so that there's, it's easy to learn, but hard to master, I'd be able to effectively hold a competitive match and then people of all spectrum, all, all spectrum of gamer would be able to enjoy the game. Okay. So you came out of that wanting to make something that a lot of people would play. Were you, was this your, your first foray into actually like creating games or had you made some hobby style games prior to this? Um, I never made a tabletop or board game. Like, like I mentioned before, I did create that, uh, the mobile app, uh, Parallel Kingdom and I worked creating the design mechanics and artwork for that game. But this would be then my first, like, fully created by myself. Well, that's a misnomer because I had a lot of people helping me play test it. And the play testers, like, people need to give their play testers so much credit because if there isn't the play tests, the game doesn't happen. And like, when I got home from Gen Con 2013, within two weeks, we had a prototype at the table trying to play it. Nice. But yeah, so this was kind of my first, uh, my first tabletop experience. So I think that's the answer. That's the okay. answer. Then I guess what I would want to know or, or a question that comes to my mind is then from working on the video game side, were there processes you were able to kind of port over that you were able to use in creating your design process for your game? Oh, for sure. So I definitely feel like in video games, you need to have a really banging good UI because people need to know where their buttons are, where their abilities are, and stuff like that. And so I kind of took a little bit of that over to my game to make sure that the iconography is very noticeable, big, and then has not only typically different colors associated with it, but also different shapes so that you have both colorblind people and regular uh, vision can both access the content. The other thing I took from video game development over was when I work on Star Wars, uh, sometimes we have to outsource some of our models to other companies to build so then we can get them back and put them into the world. And in that process, you have to oversee another person and make sure that what they're producing would fit within the vision of Star Wars. So then when we go back to my game, getting all the artwork done by 15 to 16 different artists, I'd have to oversee them and make sure that they're able to create an image that fits in the style that I had created with Diego Almazan's box art. And so like, I'd have to like make like, and if it wasn't right, you know, they'd have to keep working on it or I'd have Diego come and like help Diego and I both would look at the image, uh, do a paint over to tell them like, you need to fix these things here and send that back. So that process is similar. Like that art direction, making sure that everything fits the same overall vision. 
I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that you had so many different artists working on this. So one of the things that some people might look at you and, and see that you're designing a game and that you also do art kind of would go, man, you're, you're lucky. You, you can do all of that in-house by yourself. So for those type of people, and, and you're not the first artist we've had come on and say, yeah, I, I knew I couldn't do it all myself, but what were the reasonings for you? to say, you know what, I'm going to have to have other people do art as well. So personally, I'm quickly or I'm quick at making 3D cinematic, like that kind of artwork. Uh, in order for me to create the same image that Diego Almazan can make in like an hour would take me like seven hours. So like just like a time effectiveness, it makes more sense for me to put in some overtime, make a better level, make a new dungeon for Star Wars, and then hire people to make the art for my game, um, who every day are concept artists. And like every every day they paint images, every day they draw images. So there, it's just like that whole idea of when you spend 10,000 hours on something, you become a master. So rather than having me spend 20 hours to create the same image that someone else can make in an hour, or two hours, I'll just hire someone else to make that image and I can cover those costs with, you know, my day job. Okay. Yeah. And, and I think that's the point that we kind of have tried to get across several times that, you know, even though you could potentially do it yourself and do it in house, it's where should you be focusing your time to make sure that the final product gets made and gets made uh, as a quality product versus just getting swamped in art, getting swamped in, and, and having to really divide up your time more than you'd probably be comfortable with. Yeah, I mean, I mean, and that's exactly it, right? Like, I also was working on a clock. Like, sure, I could do it all myself, but this game wouldn't be out for another four years. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you, you, you have, in my opinion, it's, it's good if you have the capability to spread out amongst different artists, as long as you can maintain that same vision. Uh, so that the theme of your game is the exact same and that will allow you to get a, a quality product faster. And, you know, you mentioned it a little bit earlier, but about playtesting, how much playtesting did you do and how did you know that that was so uh, important up front if you had never made this, the, the tabletop games before? Well, I mean, so it, it, that would probably just go back to the hours of playtest. <sighs> Man, it's not playtesting. It's, deck testing i guess (laughs) so when you're playing in a competitive trading card game environment you'll create a deck and you have to test it like a thousand times to see if it is the best deck to take to that competitive tournament right um to see how it compares to the meta so that plus the idea of when we're working on you know star wars we i watch like designers and they'd have me come and test their content and be like so uh let's do a pvp round and see what happens how would you just kill everyone like well i did this ability and (laughs) so then i knew you know going from the get-go that we have to play it a thousand or thousands of times in order to work on balancing and then also to uh work out kinks and bugs right Uh, do you call them bugs in tabletop (laughs) uh i guess you can sure yeah i mean yeah. yeah (laughs) <laughs> so we're working out all these bugs, like whether like I come from a tech background anyway, so bu- bugs sure. works for me. <laughs> so like I think the very, very, very 
first iteration of this game probably would have taken four focused individuals like 40 hours to play. <laughs> like, <laughs> it was ridiculous. But then throughout iteration after iteration after iteration, uh, we got that timeline down to a you know 40-minute game. And then what I found was, and so at that point, if you look at the game now, it would be as if you take out one battle before each boss. So you'd have two battles, boss, two battles, boss, done. And we found that people didn't feel like they had enough time to play any cards or to um, build up a, a character. And like, just as the game's over, they're like, oh, I can do stuff now. So then we added one extra turn into both rounds. So then people feel like they've got their stuff figured out by the first boss. And so in the second boss, they can start playing with the other locations and checking out different options. Yeah. And I, I think that's extremely important because I've actually looked at a few games where it, it definitely felt like getting right up to, oh, game's over. It's like, well, I, I was just getting ready to actually do all these things you tell me about in the rule book, but it's over. <laughs> so, yep. and that's always kind of frustrating when, especially if it's, Different things like, okay, well, now that I've got, now that I've got a roll, now I know what's going on. Now I get to, oh, no, it's done. Never mind. And on subsequent plays, you kind of still get the, so even if you go, okay, well, maybe I need to do this faster. Uh, and you try that and you're like, nope, still done. That's a very frustrating feeling. Mm-hmm. And so that, that is something that is, is very important. I'm glad you were able to kind of pinpoint in on and, and, uh, work out a solution again because of play testing. <laughs> Yeah, it's extremely valuable. Like the playtesting helps you balance the game. And then once you feel like you have a decent balance in the playtest, or this is what I did anyways, then I went and opened an Excel doc and assigned a score to every single stat in the game. So then I can mathematically, if I want to add a card or create a new card or create an expansion, I can just look at that Excel doc and see, okay, so in order to add an energy to a card, it costs this many points. In order to add an attack power, it costs this many points. And each card has a certain allotment of points. How much blind playtesting did you do? So that one was tricky. <laughs> I did probably, before the first Kickstarter launch, I think I did three or four. And it was really scary because the rule rule book is scary for me because I'm not the best writer in the world. But then when I got to this new version, there was a lot more blind playtests. I got a bunch in at conventions i got some in at just like home sessions and then i mean anyone that i sent my copy to to preview the game that's a blind place test right like here's the game in the rule book yeah but hopefully by that point you're you're not looking for them to be a blind play test (laughs) well right right no i got you but i'm just like uh, it's kind it kind of counts almost no no and not (laughs) no it it, does i mean again yeah you're you're at that point, you're not wanting them to be blind playtests, but sure. I, I understand where you're coming from because there are a lot of times where I'll be looking at a game and I'll say, hey, did you know this? Did you know that? Or is this the way this works because the wording is a little goofy in the rule book, that kind of thing. And, sure. and so there are things that you'll get from, say, like a reviewer, previewer that may help out in the process. And, and, and again, by that time, they're probably pretty little things. Right. Uh, so it's, it's understandable, but yeah, it's, I don't want to encourage anybody to say, hey, you know what? Reviewers will be my blind play testers. Cause that's, oh, no, 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 no. Definitely not, not that. true. <laughs> not that. I'm just like, I got in plenty before that stage 
but I was like, can I count them as well? But we probably shouldn't. <laughs> uh, okay. You know, you, you made the game, uh, you've gone through all the play testing and everything. Couple questions. One, the business side of the gaming industry, is that something that you're actually interested in or, or are you kind of putting up with it, quote unquote, putting up with it to make your game get out into the public? Option B, final answer. <laughs> um, uh, and, and again, there's there's no right or wrong answer on that, but I'm always curious because I, I have the full spectrum that I've had on the show. I've had people that consider the business side, so having to deal with you know accounting and printing and manufacturing and all that stuff, where they they you know it's considered a necessary evil to get their game out in the world. All the way to I've actually had people on that are like. We found out in the process that we don't really like design, but man, do we love the publishing side of things. So we're just going to publish other people's games. So I've had the full spectrum. So I always sure. like to know where people fall in there. Oh, no, I definitely like give me like some time, a theme and let me think of a new rule set and like, let's make some new cards and make some new balancing and like, all right, let's think of a new type of monster. And how is that going to mess up the players? That is so fun for me. <laughs> then maybe, maybe not. I'll, I'll ask this as well. If everything goes well, and it is going well right now, but if, you know, if this goes really well and let's say you create another game or two or something and, and you've kind of build on what you, your foundation, do you foresee for yourself anytime in the future where you'd go, you know what? I'll publish somebody else's game. It's definitely uh, a possible. <laughs> uh, what, what I think, uh, I'm more interested in doing, like, this is super long in the future, probably, because I still want to work in the video game sector. Like, I still want to make video games. It's still, like, a passion. But then I also like the, uh, creating board games. So what I think might happen is hire on some people to manage the board game side. And then eventually, once I find people that I like the way they think and stuff like that, maybe hire on a couple of designers and have them try and design some cards for this game. And then I'll play them with them. And if, you know, all the cards they've designed, I feel like are good additions to the game, then, you know, we'll ship their version and maybe then give them some license to create their own title. So I guess it'd be a little bit more difficult for me to have like someone come to me with a title, but I guess I want them to get their feet wet first on my brand and then maybe then they'd create something that then we could publish that. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes total sense actually. Yeah. So kind of like a little think tank studio in, in sure, a way. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and dealing with the, the licenses you already work with. And then, yeah, like you said, if things look good and, and they're producing quality for the licenses you already have, maybe expand out and, and offer them a chance at their own licensed property or IP. Right. The other question that, I had, and, and maybe this is a good question to ask right before we switch over to the project itself, but what made you decide to go the Kickstarter route? That was like the option. That was like, I, I guess it was in my mind, the way to go. I never actually even considered going to a publisher, <laughs> like, to be honest, because I felt that they were scary monsters. Um, <laughs> but turns out they're not that bad. Um, but like, just cause like I knew some writers who had been trying to get like a book made or a play produced or whatever. And I knew how much struggle they went through. So 
I guess Kickstarter just seemed like the way to go. Since then, though, uh, I've realized that publishers aren't that bad and that they actually help make things a lot easier, a lot less stressful because you don't have to do everything yourself. And when you're also trying to, you know, work a day job, (laughs) it's nice to be able to create a product, know that it's being taken care of and not have to worry so much. Right. And and that's kind of one of the things leading up to you launching this the the relaunch was at Gen Con you were kind of still somewhat going back and forth on whether I mean you you, yep. you were planning to launch if you couldn't find a publisher, but you yep. were definitely exploring the publisher route. Yes. <laughs> and uh of course so here we are today and it's on Kickstarter, so you decided to go uh your own route. Uh but I think you you at least got some pretty decent experiences out of meeting with some of those publishers, didn't you? Oh for sure. And I even uh, some, a couple of them had even mentioned the, I, the idea of post Kickstarter, taking it and running with it after that. Like, get the Kickstarter out there, get the IP established, get the game out to followers, but then they'll help distribute it and, you know, get the second print run or stuff like that. All right. So let's go ahead and do, uh, the switch here and talk about the game. So this would be the point where I ask you for your uh, elevator pitch for Guardians Explore. Okay. So in the Guardians Explore, your kid's off having a good time when suddenly a bunch of monsters invade the city and take over all the places you like. And that's not cool. So let's run home, grab some items, hone our skills, train some familiars, and let's defend the city. If we can defeat the final boss and stop the monster invasion, we've saved the town. However... We want to see who did it best, so we'll compare our trophy piles and our secret quests to crown a true guardian. <laughs> there you go. So competitive co-op. <laughs> yeah, you know, just like, you know, you got the Gimli Legolas trope. Like, yeah, we're trying to stop the, the orcs, but I want to do it better than you, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, and, and again, this is uh, this is an awesome game. Uh, I, I have played it. I have a copy here uh, that we'll be doing a video for very shortly. It is an amazing looking game. It's got a lot of little things going on with it. Uh, you got some drafting, you got some exploration, uh, you got some deck building, uh, just a, a little bit of everything kind of going into this. And one of the things that I think a lot of people, it's easy to draw people to it because the art, as Jonathan said, and so many people have worked on the art, the art is absolutely beautiful and amazing. And it is an instant draw. It's, ooh, what is that when you see it on the table? So, you know, you, you talked about getting all these people together and make sure they had, that they could all work together in the same art style. But how important was it for you to get these visuals down for this game? Oh, hands down important. Like it wasn't going to be shipped or like done <laughs> until that was correct. Because like I just remember or like going into it. I really wanted to create something that had a very high appeal to a broad audience. And so like a company that has nailed high appeal time after time is Pixar. They can nail a high appeal content all the time. So taking a leaf out of their book, I just really wanted to make sure that it was my game was a little cartoony, but still realistic, vibrant colors, but not like in your face colors. And also try and have a little bit of fun with it sometimes. So like, for instance, if you look closely on some of the cards, you'll find kind of cute little things. Like, for instance, on the orc boss, she has like paper lunch sack attached to her satchel 
which just says love mom on it. <laughs> and it's like, oh, okay, okay, that's, that's something. And there's a few other things like that scattered throughout the, the artwork. Yeah, that's awesome. Like I said, it, the artwork definitely stands out, which is awesome. But the artwork will draw you in. The gameplay will keep you to the table, which is extremely important, right? You can, you can flash the shiny object, but you got to keep people at the table. <laughs> right. That's definitely, definitely something that's very important. And I think I've done a good job. I think we've got a, a solid game here. Uh, I definitely think you got a solid game here. So let's talk a little bit then. Okay. So you, you launched the first one. You were unsuccessful and that's not, I mean, you weren't unsuccessful to the point of nobody is checking out this game. You just fell a little short and, and you got a, a, a decent amount of, uh, funding and backing out of the first one. You were just a little shy of it. And we kind of had some conversations around that. And I even joked, all you need to throw in there is like a marriage and a move. And you're like, well, actually, I was moving during my first one. <laughs> true, true. <laughs> so um, why, why don't you kind of uh, share some of the lessons that you did learn to get ready to launch the second one? Okay. Uh, so I guess first, the first time I, I did this, I didn't really send out. I didn't have the prototypes to send out to people before I launched and I tried to get all these reviews like post launch because I <laughs> realized it wasn't going to, I'm, I'm not hitting my goal yet. Um, and that's bad. <laughs> you should get your previews and reviews and stuff all set up so that they have time to get the review done, like at least a week before you even plan to launch. And so like, for instance, like you'll want to send out your copies a month to two months in advance so that then they have the time to work it into their schedule and things. And hopefully they're not swamped with other projects. So first thing, get your reviews and previews in before you launch the campaign. The second that I, I think is important, but might not be as important, is to have all your artwork complete. Because then people can see, like, this game is serious and that all of this art looks awesome. Um, and it's not just like, oh, there's a pretty picture up front, but it's not so good on the back. So I thought that that was very important. And then thirdly, you need to get out and meet people and talk to people and show people your game so that um, more people know about it and get those people emailing back and forth. Get them into the Facebook page. Have your Board Game Geek page set up so that people who can play it can go on Board Game Geek and review your game. So that when it comes time for your Kickstarter to launch, you can be like, hey, look, we've got so many followers on Facebook. We've got so many reviews on BoardGameGeek. Oh, and here's all these previews. Right. Yeah. And that that was like one of the things, like I said, when when you and I first met, I was like, okay, what? tell me about your, your social media. Tell me about uh, this and that. I looked up the, the previous project and stuff. And that, again, was when I kind of said, you know what, Jonathan, you don't need to hire me. You just need to hit the ground running and and we talked about a couple different things and and we introduced you to a few reviewers one of the things though i think is extremely impressive like every time i turn around i'm seeing your game uh i'm seeing you out and about showing off your game and i'm seeing pictures and i'm seeing uh you talking about the game and i and and doing so not in a spammy way but in a a natural and passionate way which I think kind of comes off really well. So why don't you talk a little bit about maybe some of the um, the demoing marketing you're kind of doing along with the campaign. Oh, okay. So typically, well, now that the campaign's running, I'm like demoing at a store every day. But up until that point, when I would go to conventions, what I would do is 
you know, I would talk with the people there, tell them about my project, and then I'd get one to two tables set up and I'd have two copies of the game open. And then I'd have people, I'd sit them down, teach them how to play. They'd play through the ed- apprentice mode, which is basically half the game. And then after they're done with that, I like to get their feedbacks, see what they thought, hear any troubles they had so that I can, you know, maybe adjust those in the game. And then I'd also give uh, each one of the people a signed alpha card. So like throughout the creation process of this game, I've been going to the game crafter to get prototypes. And so I have these versions of cards that are not the cards they are currently in the game, but and they're sketch art, you know, because I didn't have all the art rendered. But I found people really like that. <laughs> so I, I'll give out uh, signed alpha cards of the game and then get their email addresses so that later when I do launch the Kickstarter, I can be like, hey, there's this thing. you should. It's finally available. You should go get it. And then what I would do is I would just run those back to back. As soon as you know one group's done, a new group would come in and start playing. And then what I'd also do is at some point during the convention, I would hold a tournament where players who had learned how to play the game earlier in the weekend could come back, compete in a tournament, and the winner would leave with a beta copy of the game. Now, sure, the the rules and mechanics might change a little bit between the beta copy and the Kickstarter launch, but like they have a beta copy that no one else has. Yeah, that's awesome. And then, like I said, it's, it's amazing and admirable that you're kind of hitting the ground running and demoing so much even while the Kickstarter is going on. So uh, let me ask you this. Has it been kind of difficult to juggle having to be present for the Kickstarter and present for lots of demoing, plus, you know, having a day job and all that good stuff? Oh, yeah. It's like you forget how valuable sleep is at a point. (laughs) And then you finally, like, crash. And you're like, oh, my God, I feel so much better. (laughs) Um, But it was a lot of, like, for instance, uh, the whole weekend I was at uh, Dragon Con. I would sl- I was sleeping something like three to four hours tops a night based on just like demoing until super late and then trying to sleep and then coming back because I have to start again at eight or nine in the morning. But yeah, so juggling uh, the Kickstarter campaign with work, with everything else, what I found the first time was it really detracted me from my work and that wasn't good. But this time around, I'm just like, okay. While I'm at work, the only time I can, you know, really make an update or anything is over my lunch break. If I want to do any other updates for the Kickstarter, I have to do it before I leave my house or once I get home. And then what typically will happen is I'll finish at work and then I have a game demo set up. So I go from I work my, you know, eight or nine hours and then I go demo for a couple of hours and then I come home and try and create any new artwork I need for the Kickstarter campaign then try and sleep and then go and do it all over again. <laughs> right. But one of the things that you kind of pinpointed on is that you actually made those breaks that you knew like, okay, I'm at work. I can't, I can't do this. And I, I got a demo session, all that kind of stuff, because uh, the things that we've talked about in the past on the show is Kickstarter will take all the time you give it. It will gladly take any amount of time you give it and not say it's sorry at all. Uh, so, I mean, it can end up being like a second job with overtime if you let it. <laughs> right. Sometimes that's important, right? Like sometimes that needs to happen in order for it to succeed. And a lot of what I wanted to do this time around was get all that stuff done ahead of time. 
like I don't know if you've checked my page recently, but like there are so many reviews on that page. <laughs> like <laughs> if anyone wants to know anything about the game, just click some videos. You know what I mean? Yeah, you you do have an impressive amount of videos uh, or reviews, and yeah, it's it, you know we what we got you three or four at Gen Con, and then you've hit the ground yep. running with a ton more since then. So that is awesome. Yep. And yeah, you have a very active page, which is nice. I mean, you've, you've got, you know, multiple updates already. Uh, you've got a, a pretty lengthy comment section going on, which is nice. So you've got all that interaction going on. And like we said, you are fully funded. You fully funded within what was it? Two days? Uh, yep. Uh, I mean, technically it was like two days and two hours, <laughs> but we're going to go with two days. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll round down. That's you, you, you earned uh, it. You earned it. We'll yeah, round down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the, the one thing that was really exciting before I launched it on Tuesday was I actually got a, a message on my previous Kickstarter and like asking, Hey, isn't this launching today? And I'm like, yeah, you got to wait till my lunch break. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> one of the nice things, I mean, you've, you fully funded in two days, but where you're sitting right now is you actually have more funding than when the last one was unsuccessful, which is Correct. always awesome to see. Um, yep. So with this path and trajectory, there's a good chance that we're going to see this be, you end up getting more funding than you were originally looking for. And that's always awesome when, when we can kind of see those projects that have learned different things and applied them. And then on their second time around, uh, they're more successful than they were looking for the first time and, and were unsuccessful. Uh, and, and so that is awesome to see. And I really hope that happens here because like I said, this is an awesome game. Uh, you're an awesome guy. I, I've enjoyed kind of getting to know you and hanging out with you quite a bit. And, uh, even beyond that, just kind of having Facebook conversations and everything else. Uh, <laughs> You're somebody that, uh, you know, I, I consider a friend now. And, and yeah, yeah. Awesome no, definitely. <laughs> it's definitely uh, great to like meet new people and like getting to know you while I was at Gen Con was great, uh, great experience. And then like, then I'll like bounce a little like, what do you think about this idea? What do you think about this idea? Cause like I'll hear things back from other reviewers and I'll be like, Hey, trying to like pick everyone's brain who has a copy <laughs> of the game and like, I'm thinking about changing this, but like I want your opinion too before I, you know, pull the lever. <laughs> So yeah, this is just uh, amazing to see. And we're kind of winding down on our time here. So Oh, sure, sure. One question that I like to ask is let's say uh somebody's listening to our interview and they go, "You know what? The, these guys are talking about, you know, Jeff's kind of excited about the artwork and everything else and they, they says it's a good game. Let me go check out the page." So they run run over there, they're checking out the page and they're kind of like yeah, this, this might be a game for me. They're kind of on the fence. So what are a couple things that you would tell that person so that they go, you know what, Jonathan, you're absolutely right. I have to back this project right now. Okay. So this game is a uh, card-based adventure game that's unlike any, any other game out there, right? Unlike other deck building games where you have to, you start with basic cards and it takes a while and you have to take turn after turn to create your deck to actually start playing the game. You get all your cards at the beginning. So as soon as the game starts, you're playing the game. And then the other thing that I was able to achieve with this game is simultaneous play during the longest part of every round. So the longest part of every round is when everyone's playing their cards. And you have that one person who's playing the like, I'm going to draw every card in my deck deck. And the thing is, is you're all playing your cards at the same time. So you don't have to wait for that person to do all their stuff because you're doing your stuff at the same time. So you got simultaneous play. You've got a drafting to get your entire deck at the beginning. And then thematically, you'll be 
defeating these monsters and you're not really going to be attacking other players, but depending on which monsters you hit and win, the monsters will sort of be attacking your other <laughs> opponents. Um, so like, that's how that happens. And then let's be real. Like how often when you were a kid, were you running around pretending that you're going to go fight off some, an orc invasion or what have you. And then suddenly, you know, oh crap, it's really scary. I got to go hide in my blanket for it. <laughs> So you can do that here, right? You can create a blanket fort in spaces and that place is impenetrable for monsters. They can't take you when you're in the blanket fort. <laughs> awesome. So you, you did make a couple changes to the blanket fort? Uh, so the, there's a couple, uh, cool things. So in the, the main difference between the version you have and the one I have, that first boss, if you, if you betray your friends and don't go and fight the boss, uh, and every, and the boss destroys your home. Um, you would get a coward card so that you can no longer go to anyone else's blanket fort, but they could still use yours. So that's kind of a fun new mechanic with the blanket forts. But yeah, just so, for people who don't know, when you defeat monsters at locations, you can fortify it with a blanket fort so that you could visit that location at the beginning of their next round to prepare. Cause every round you visit a location to prepare, like maybe change out some cards or get some extra energy so that you can play your cards uh, at the beginning of the round. Yeah, no, that, that is awesome. Cause I remember uh, that, I think that was one of the things that we were talking about when we were playing it, when like me and a couple other people were at the table and that whole, that the blanket fort, if there's just a little something extra, they were cool the way they were, but there's a little something extra. And sounds like mm-hmm. you, you kind of came up with a couple of those things. So that's awesome. Yep. And there's more ideas I have for them, but we're probably going to save those for the expansion. All right. Before I give the, uh, the the quick details for the project, where can people find you if they want to follow along with what you're working on? You can go to our Facebook page, uh, The Guardians Explore. You can find that straight through Facebook. Or you can go to our website at www.theguardiansexplore.com. Or you can find us on Twitter at The Guardians X, where it's like at capital T, the underscore capital G, Guardians underscore capital X, if that makes sense. And of course, as always, I will put everything in the show notes along with the link to the Kickstarter. So you can check there if you want and find Jonathan and give him a like and follow all that good stuff. So we're talking about and the project you should check out right now is the Guardians Explore, which is on Kickstarter through October 15th, 2015. It currently has around 230 backers and over $12,000 of the 10000 that Jonathan was looking for. Uh, and you can get in on this game. And what is a base set go for? Oh, uh, so for $40, you'll get a copy of the game plus shipping. In the U.S., it'll be $4 shipping. Uh, other countries, depending on what country, it'll go up. All right. There you go. And again... I am absolutely uh, in love with this game. I think it looks amazing, has great gameplay. The art will draw anybody in. Definitely go check it out. And, again, if this is something you're interested in, definitely back it. All right, Jonathan, it has been awesome having this conversation with you, man. I'm glad we finally got to sit down and have a a conversation now that Gen Con's over. (laughs) Yeah, no, 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 it's been great. Uh, Thank you. Thank you so much. I look forward to talking to you more and uh, seeing just 
how uh, amazingly successful this project goes for you because it's definitely continuing to climb and I think that is awesome. Thank you. <laughs> like I said at Gen Con, I, I knew this was where it was going and uh, it's definitely going there. So that's awesome. Yeah, I know. Uh, you're, uh, I guess you're just straight up a profit at that point. <laughs> I, I don't think I'd ever go that far, <laughs> but thank you, I guess. <laughs> All right, everybody. There you go. There's another interview for you. Of course, we will have more between myself and Paul. We are going to have more interviews, and I will talk to you very soon. Thanks for listening. Thank you for checking out a United Geeks Network family member. If you enjoyed it and are looking for other online media with a geek culture slant, head over to unitedgeeksnetwork.com, where you will find The Game Huntress. Wherever there's XP or achievements, the Game Huntress blog will always be on the hunt. The United Geeks Network. You can broadcast your geekiness at unitedgeeksnetwork.com.